Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States of America. And now uh, that we are back together here in Cambodia, I look forward to building uh, even stronger progress than we've already made. And I want to thank the Prime Minister of for Colombia's leadership and the ASEAN's ASEAN Chair. This has been the President of the United States of America. May God have mercy on our souls. Stu does America. BlazeTV.com slash Stu is the place to go to subscribe to Blaze TV. If you're watching on YouTube, like this video right this second, please. We appreciate it. Giancarlo Sopo is here today to talk to us about the rights big wins in Florida. Joe Biden meets with President Xi, which I'm sure wasn't a disaster at all. But we start by doing election season. You see, it's not election day. It's not even election month anymore. It's, it's a season of elections. It just seems to go on and on and on and on and on forever. Where do we stand right now? Well, the Senate, sadly, has been lost for Republicans. Two races called over the weekend, Nevada and Arizona, which puts us into uh, effect here. Uh, with the Senate lost, it's sad. That means judicial nominees should pretty much swing through. God forbid a Supreme Court justice uh, decides to leave or is, is forced to leave. At least it's in a bad position, and we don't like it. Uh, but still, you know, things can still be blocked. There can be some good things. Uh, the House is still in play. We'll get to the details on that in a second. And what happens, of course, when the Republicans lose the Senate, however, I mean, you saw it. Uh, riots in the streets, uh, society burning down, buildings on fire, people being executed all over the place. Um, actually, no, shockingly enough, this is an actual headline I saw uh, today. Election deniers who lost quietly concede after all. Huh. So wait a minute. The last year or two of you telling us that all these people were going to want to overturn the election because they were election deniers. and They were going to complain about this constantly. They didn't do any of that stuff you warned us about. Link to an article uh, from uh, Yahoo News and the AP across the U.S. A return to democratic order. Will it last? Hmm. So what happens after Republicans underperform their hopeful hopes in the election? There was no violence. Hmm. Many candidates who denied the legitimacy of previous elections lost and quietly conceded. A few listen, uh, and, and few listened when former President Donald Trump tried to stoke baseless allegations of electoral fraud. Hmm. For a moment, at least, there's a sense of normalcy in the U.S. Huh. The extremism that has consumed political discourse for much of the past two years had been replaced by something resembling traditional democratic order. Isn't that weird? I mean, look, that's only been the case ever since I've been alive with the exception of January 6th, which is the only thing we talk about. Now, I can give you a multi-year period uh, where Democrats seem to burn things down every time they got a result that they didn't like. That, that seemed to go on. We've seen a lot of pregnancy centers have to deal with that sort of behavior since the Dobbs decision. But all that gets sort of tossed aside. You're not supposed to think about that. You're not supposed to realize that's going on. So, shockingly enough, society not burning down, disappointing results. You move on with your life. You fight for another day. That's what we're going to do here over uh, over the next uh, election cycle, hopefully, and make sure that 2024 works out better. Learn from our mistakes in 2022. But there are some open uh, open doors, some uh, some, you know, eyes that needs to be needs to be uh, need to be dotted and uh, T's that need to be crossed. Am I saying that right? One of those two, whatever, they, whatever it is, dot your T's, uh, cross your eyes if you want. I mean, this is America. You do what you want. So Republicans still have the path to the House, they are still favored in the House. I, 
It would be a lie if I did not tell you that it was disconcerting that it's this close. And also that I can't just tell you they're going to win it. But let me give you an exact picture as to where we stand. I went through every every race that's outstanding and looked at them all to see where they stood. And then I just decided to grade them sort of old school grading system. A through F, A, the best possible chance Republicans have to win a seat, F, the, the, the least possible, the least, uh, the worst possibilities, I guess, uh, to win the seat. And this is how uh, I, I came up with the rankings. 212 are solid. Republicans have 212 without anything else happening. There are three A's, the best chance for Republicans to win, and two B's. So add that up, you got 217, one short of what they actually need. Then there are three C's that I graded them as a C, four that I graded as a D, and then all the rest of them are F's. Now, if you take just the A, B's, and C's, that's enough to take the House. But the A's and B's by themselves are not. It's a little disconcerting, is it not? And look, I wouldn't say even the A's and B's are sure things by any means. The Republicans are heavily favored in the A's, strongly favored maybe in the B's. And in the C's, we're kind of in some toss-ups there. Could go either way. The Republicans could pick up, uh, pick off a couple of the D's or maybe a one or two of the F's. But the bottom line is this is not a super easy path. Right now, a lot of places are projecting it as a 221 final count if everything goes as expected. Uh, plus or minus four, which is a big difference because plus is 225, which is at this point would be a dream for Republicans. Minus four is 217, which means they don't have the House. So this is nerve wracking at this point. And I think it has everybody asking, what the hell is taking so long? Why? What is happening? Is, are we a third world country? And I can tell you very clearly we are not for reasons that are, uh, that are, I think, pretty clear to everybody. Uh, we've got all the fanciest technology, and uh, apparently third world countries can count their votes a lot better than us. So I, I, we're definitely not a third world country. Um, how does this stuff happen? I mean, well, I don't understand how a foreign country can count all their vote in one day, and we have this ridiculous, nonsensical process that goes on for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. One of the A races I have uh, ranked here in the House is the Lauren Boebert race. Now, Boebert is ahead by you know, a little over 1,000 votes, but basically all the vote has been counted. But you get this little nugget from the press today. Lauren Boebert in danger, as thousands of votes for opponent could be fixed. Wait, wait, what? They they could be fixed. Now, this is a process that's been going on for years. It's called ballot curing. We've talked about it before, where, like, let's say you send in your ballot and you screw up, um, I don't know, the, the signature. And they, they, they think the signature might not be valid. A lot of times they'll call the voter and say, hey, j just so you know, we're not going to count your vote unless you come down here and guarantee you're the right person because we think your, your, your signature is questionable. This happens every election. It's not necessary. I mean, it doesn't happen in every state and every locality, but uh, Colorado has this rule and has been implementing it for a long time. But still, you can understand why people get freaked out by the election and what's going on behind it when stuff like this can happen. Now, I think Boebert will still survive this. It would be pretty shocking if she didn't. And this is the thing. If Republic, look, I'll be honest with you. If Democrats want to steal this House election, if they're capable of doing it, this is the one to do it because they're really, really close. There's a bunch of elections between hundreds, hundreds and thousands or thousands of votes. They're all in places that are democratically uh, controlled. California, New York, Oregon, Colorado, Arizona, even all these places uh, which we kind of know for some election questions 
have the control of the House at their at their uh, fingertips. So if they if this election is going to be stolen from the House, they could do it. If they don't do it here, I think they're incapable of doing it. Or they just had a uh, just an incredible attack of conscience. I don't know what it would be, but I don't, you know, this is going to be a, a crazy, crazy uh, next week or so until this thing's all fully sorted out. And part of the reason why this is going on is that state laws can be very, very stupid. This is not the case in the entire country. A lot of states have all their votes counted. And Florida did it really quickly. A bunch of states did it really quickly. Yet we still have states that are outliers, and it's insane. California, of course, always being the worst of the worst of the worst. If you look at every single election I can ever remember covering, California's votes roll in so, so slow and so, so late. And most of us don't notice. Why? Because there's very few close races, in, especially statewide in California, that no one really bothers to check in on it. It's not that important. But listen to this rule. This is why this happens. If you tell people they've got a month to, ca- to count the vote, well, they're going to take a month to count the vote. This is the law in California. The county elections officials must complete the official canvas no later than the 30th day after the election and submit a certified statement of the results of the election to the Secretary of State by the 31st day. Yeah, wow. I mean, you want to talk about stringent. Wow, these just they're just uh, slave drivers out there in California. Can you believe they only give them a month to count the vote? It's ridiculous. And of course, it takes forever. I mean, look at where they are right now. This is a, this is from today. Only 65% of the votes are in for statewide office in California. And of course, there's other states with major problems as well. Maybe they're not as bad as California, but Arizona right now still only 93% of the votes in. And, you know, Arizona is one of these states where huge house races are at risk. And the Republicans could lose the house just based on the house uh, races that are in Arizona. Democrats could pick those off pretty easily in close races, and they only have 93% of the vote counted. Now, Just to give you an understanding, though, uh, that this isn't all that bizarre, some states do have these rules that set up to make the vote count really slow. We should change those rules. We really should. But like nobody talks about, for example, Utah. Now, Utah did not have a close race. Mike Lee won easily uh, by about 13 points over Evan McMullen. But to this day, Utah only has 84 percent of the votes counted. Better than California, but worse than Arizona, worse than Nevada, worse than many of these other states that kind of get a bunch of heat over these results. And that's important to note. The only one of the big reasons why we always focus on how long this vote count takes, number one, is we have a lot. We have many more uh, close elections. There were times where there was a lot of more a lot more blowouts and these things, these results. It's like Utah, where like, okay, they're they're taking a long time to count the vote. Nobody even notices because no one really cares. Well, when Utah has a close election, which probably will happen in our lifetimes, uh, it's going to be important that that vote gets counted and get counted quickly so that people have confidence in what's going on. I mean, you know, everybody I talk to, I'll be honest with you, everybody I talk to looks at Arizona. They look at Nevada. And they have huge questions about whether these things are legitimate or not. And it's understandable because the process is so weak. Look, in Nevada, the Republican governor won. The Republican senator lost. Now, if you're going to steal an election, why you wouldn't also take the gubernatorial race? I don't know. The same thing in Arizona. If you're going to steal the election for governor or for Senate, why would you let these two congressional districts float by a thousand votes or less in two vital Republican seats? Now, We don't know for sure what the final results will be, but if Republicans hold on to the House, 
if the Democrats wanted to steal this, it's right at their fingertips. I mean, uh, they could if they had the capacity or the, the will to do it. But all of this stuff adds up to questions, and it makes it harder for us to have free and fair elections that people have confidence in. Make these things right, and these things problems get a lot more minimal. There's always going to be somebody who says an election is stolen, right or wrong. And look, if there is evidence that this happened in one of these races, we've got to know about it. It's not a minor thing. It's a major thing. We do need to know about it. There are processes set up, and I guarantee you, any candidate that you're worried about losing because of a stolen election has got a ton of lawyers who are looking all over the place trying to find the best information to support that cause. And if they find it, it's a massive scandal. This has happened before. Ele- the, the idea that election fraud does not exist, of course, is ridiculous. The question is whether it exists enough to overturn these races or occurred in these particular situations. And that's what we'll, we will see over the next few weeks if evidence can be provided uh, to support those claims. Um, but why can't we just come up with a better solution? Let me just give you one here. The absentee solution. Do we really need election season? Do we need eight weeks of pre-election Uh, voting and then election day voting and then they keep the polls open because in case there's somebody in uh, I don't know in Madagascar somewhere uh, maybe in the central Central African Republic who is overseas and they say ah gosh I forgot to leave uh, send my ballot out I'm going to send it out on election day and get it postmarked by the high quality Central African Republic uh, post office and then it'll arrive in three weeks and we have to keep the polls open for that one person look I understand that person uh, if an American citizen they've got the right to vote great great we see this we do see this at times with military members who are you know got more important things to focus on than our dumb elections and are sitting over there uh you know fighting the enemy and uh these ballots sometimes come in late and i understand that that's what the left always says when they say well we have to keep them open latest for our military and we care about our military exactly the amount of time that it benefits us so okay i understand that but you know what every credit card company uh, that military members have uh, cre- given credit cards to, they all expect their bill payment on time. And every military member is able to send out their ballots a week, or excuse me, their payments a week or two before to make sure they get those credit card payments in. Everybody knows how to do this. We, this is, these are basic things, basic parts of civilization. We send in payments or in this case, ballots early so they arrive on time. There's no reason why if you're voting absentee or if you're voting early, you can't send it in, but with enough notice so it gets there by election day. That should be a very basic requirement that we're not even hitting in this country. And look, a lot of people like the, the uh, day of voting. And I understand that, especially on the right. I get why. And there's something to it. There's some, there's some of the, the pageantry that you like. It's harder to, to maybe uh, have any shenanigans going on with the election. Mail vote has its problems, blah, blah, blah. I get all that. Now, I'm a person who works in the media, so I have covered pretty much every election since I got into this business way back in, I guess, the 2000 election was the first one I really took any you know, seriously at all. And every time on election day, I've had to be working at a studio and you're there all day and you're crunching numbers and you're doing reporting and you're doing all the stuff that you have to do on election day. You can't get to the polls all the time. I used to work two states away and commute in every day and I could not vote and work and come back and, 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 and vote in, in the middle of the day. It was not possible. So I voted absentee and absentee was a solution for most people who had to travel, who would be out of town. If you had a business trip that you were out of town that week, you had to have a way to get your vote in, and that made sense. So there is a solution here. Let me give it to you. It's three steps. Number one, if you want to get an absentee ballot, you request the ballot. Step two, 
You mail it in early enough so that they have it on election day or earlier. And step three, there is no step three. That's it. Those two things are really basic and any idiot can do them. And if you can't do them, maybe you shouldn't vote at all. Maybe, maybe you just shouldn't partake. Rock the vote, though. You got to get out there. You got to participate. You know, you don't have to, actually. If you're an idiot and if you haven't thought about any of these issues for 364 days, you don't need to vote on the 365th day. Take it off, too. We don't need a bunch of morons voting in these in these elections. That's the problem we have right now. So just request your ballot. And when it comes in, you fill it out, you send it back in. We don't need. I mean, think about what an election is right now. We are going to start off. Tomorrow, supposedly, reportedly, with the first candidate of 2024 announcing their candidacy. We are in 2022. Then we are going to have campaigning all throughout 2023 with tons of people announcing their candidacy. Then in 2024, we'll have primaries and caucuses and we'll roll through that whole season. And then we'll have the actual pre-vote where people can vote in a month or two or three early before some of the debates even occur. They'll be out there voting. And then we'll have election day. And then we'll have weeks and weeks afterward where they're still accepting votes. I mean, Donald Trump is going to announce his candidacy for 2024 if he does so tomorrow while votes are still coming in in 2022 and we don't even have the final results yet this is insane we're 24 7 elections we don't need to do it like this it really is nuts and at the very least if you have election day you want to have a short pre-vote period to make it a little easy i don't think there's any problem with that uh and then you have uh, the absentee uh, situation that should be easy it shouldn't be a problem but there's a big problem with the way the republicans are handling this and i think it burned them again in this election Republicans have been saying this thing where they don't they don't trust the mail in vote. And I understand why people don't trust the mail in vote. I understand there are problems with it. There are. It's not the best way to run an election, as I just described. That being said, once the rules of the game are set up, you got to follow the rules. Fight the rules, but then play by the rules. What we're having now is a situation where. Republicans come in, don't fight the rules, don't try to get the rules for the election set in advance, and then complain after they've lost because they don't like the rules. And they tell their voters, don't mail your vote in early, don't vote early because you can't trust it. Now, not everybody does this, but it does happen. If you go back to the 2020 election, you, look, you can look at the results as how they related to the 2016 election, state by state. I went through this back at the time. And you look at the state results for Donald Trump. His best state in the union was Florida. You say, okay, well, there you go. He he did well in Florida. He lives in Florida. Might be that. But I will say it was the one state that Donald Trump told Republican voters to get their vote in early. He said that state knew how to do it. They've been doing it for a long time. They have a good process down. Everywhere else, get there on election day. You can't trust the mail-in vote. And this was adopted as like this big thing. And like, look, in the lead up to the election, It's smart to go out there and say, hey, we think these rules are wrong. This is how we should adjust them. Let's fight that battle. But once they're set, you need to take advantage of the rules. You need to play by the rules of the game. If you're an NBA team and somebody proposes, uh, me and my son, when we play basketball uh, in our our basketball room, we've got a basketball room, and we call it a basketball room because when he was a little kid, there's a little basketball hoop in it, and it's still there to this day. And we go and sometimes play in this room and we play basketball. And when when he was really, really young, I don't even know how it happened, he came up with the idea for 18 point land now i don't know why 
every other shot was two points or three points. And then there was one place in the room that if you hit it from that spot, it was 18-pointer. Now, if they introduce this to the, to the NBA, first of all, I'd be suing them for, for, on the behalf of my son for taking the idea. But secondly, it would be a bizarre rule. And everybody would be like, that's crazy. You can't have 18-point land. Why would you do that? You'd be smart to fight 18-point land. However, you would be dumb to not try to sign people who could make shots from that spot. You'd have to come up with a way to develop your offense to get to 18-point land because it would be a big part of the game. And mail-in vote, whether you like it or not, is a big part of the game. Telling your voters not to do it is not a good idea. It's a bad idea. And it's hurting Republicans and conservatives across the country. Look, the truth is, the way we count votes in this country is a joke. The rules around our elections are a joke. We are not a third world country or anything. I got that. We have a ton of work to do to rise to the level of the third world country. I mean, it's not exactly true, but it feels that way sometimes. But along with acknowledging that this is embarrassing comes a temptation to attempt to cure something that is worse than the disease. The left wants to nationalize elections. They want federal control and they want uniform rules that, of course, they will design to apply to every election from dog catcher to president. These laws will, of course, be designed to help Democrats and hurt Republicans. But in addition to that, and, and you know, also how it violates federalism and other concepts from our founding, it also provides a single point of failure and streamlines the efforts of foreign adversaries to actually try to screw with our elections. There are some evidence that Russians did try to hack into our elections at one point, but gave up because our rules and standards were so screwy and, and, and decentralized. This is a feature, not a bug. States and localities should continue to manage their own elections, but they should just do it competently and adopt sane practices. This shouldn't be hard. Vote on election day. If you can't vote on election day, vote absentee and get the ballot there before the stupid deadline. Come on. If you asked me in the year 2000, I would have never believed this and I would have never believed that I would utter these words. But when it comes to elections, why can't everyone just be as good as Florida? Let me share a testimony with you about a young mom who came into a pre-born pregnancy clinic. A baby wasn't really in her plans, and even after seeing a halo on her baby on the ultrasound, she was still leaning toward abortion. But then she heard the heartbeat, and she chose life. You see, when an expectant mother has an unplanned pregnancy, pre-born is there. Pre-born clinics introduce moms to babies through uh, ultrasound, and that's the first encounter they have. And this changes minds. It changes hearts. The goal uh, for pre-born and the blaze is to rescue 50,000 babies, and you can help this. You can help this happen. You can sponsor an, an ultrasound and introduce a mother to her unborn child for just $28. $140 helps to rescue five babies' lives, and now, through a match, your gift is doubled. So get involved with this. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and use the keyword baby, or donate securely at preborn.com slash stew, preborn.com slash stew. At the end of the year approaches, your tax write-off can save a life. These precious souls need your help. Please go to preborn.com slash stew. Happy to welcome Giancarlo Sopo back to the program. Uh, he's a conservative media strategist, founder of Visto Media. Giancarlo, how's it going, man? It's been a while. Hey, it's good to see you, my friend. Good to see you. Uh, you know, 
It's interesting. Watching election night, I think there was a widespread nationwide malaise over some of the results, you know, maybe a disappointment. And then there's Florida, which was totally the opposite. In fact, one of the brightest things we've seen in conservative politics in a really long time. These are massive, massive results in Florida. And you're the expert on this. What happened there? Well, you know, what happened was a red asteroid that collided into the Florida Democratic Party. Uh, They don't need a rebuild. They need a witch doctor or something like some kind of like spiritual purge. Um, It it was absolutely disastrous for them. I think we we saw the the Florida Democratic Party just collapse. Uh, But I think it's easy to, to get carried away about how bad the Democrats are. But what we actually saw in Florida was a positive, proactive vision for governing by a conservative leader, and that's Governor Ron DeSantis, who uh, has done wonderful things for the people of Florida. As as you know, that's where I was born and raised. My family still lives in Florida. Uh, I felt very proud as a Floridian on Tuesday night to see uh, his historic landslide election. Nothing like that in my lifetime. Also very successful was Senator Rubio, uh, who I think had a, a, a better opponent than um, than Governor DeSantis. He had a he was running against a stronger opponent and he still beat her by 17 points. So what we saw in Florida was historic. And I think it would be foolish uh, for Republicans across the country to just, uh, you know, dismiss it as well. It's just because they, they've got a bunch of Cubans in Florida. No, that's not it. Uh, Governor DeSantis actually won the non-Cuban Hispanic vote for the first time ever for any uh, politician in Florida. It was absolutely historic. It was a a victory of epic proportions. And I think he rewrote the political playbook in the Sunshine State. And people will be studying it for many years to come. Yeah, it's it's, it's really amazing to watch it happen. And I think your point is, I mean, look, Charlie Crist, I, I, I am not capable of feeling bad for Charlie Chris, but if I were to be capable of such a thing, I would have felt bad for him because he was really being thrown to the wolves here. They, they had no chance of winning this race. Uh, I don't think anybody expected him to get maybe less than 40 percent of the vote. I mean, that was just completely stunning. But to your point on Rubio, it is uh, overlooked, I think, a little bit in all of this. And obviously, DeSantis is the newer guy maybe on the on the scene and he's kind of getting all the buzz. Rubio, I mean, Val Demings was a a shortlist VP candidate for Biden in 2020. She was seen as one of the bright hopes of of candidates running in this election cycle. And she just got absolutely destroyed by Rubio. It is it really was, you know, top to bottom, absolute destruction in Florida. Yeah, look, Miami-Dade went red. That had not happened since I was a kid. Miami-Dade. So for people who don't know, uh, Miami, Broward and Palm Beach are three counties that usually vote in unison and they usually vote for Democrats. Miami-Dade is now a red county. That is historic. Uh, We saw a great success down there by my friend Maria Salazar, congresswoman who who won her race by 15 points in a district that was tied uh, just two years ago. So uh, it's difficult to overstate because I think, you know, a lot of people are like, well, yeah, look, it's DeSantis. He's he's uh, he's great. But, you know, Governor DeSantis won his his election by, I think, half a point or something like that. For those of us who grew up in Florida politics, a three point win in Florida 
is a is like it's almost like a landslide. So a a twenty point win is just something completely unheard of, uh, certainly in my lifetime. And I think uh, we're going to be studying this and talking about it for a long time because it, it was also just the way that he did it. Um, Governor DeSantis didn't just run on the typical conservative issues that we like to talk about, like you know tax cuts and school choice. He did all he did that. But he also went into like democratic territory and started talking about the environment. Uh, his his he's had a very successful record conserving Florida's waters and beaches and cleaning it up. Uh, he he ran on that. He did not hide away from that just because it was a so-called democratic issue. Mm. Air quotes. Uh, so I think he really rewrote the political textbook, and conservatives across the country need to pay very close attention to this because. If we had Governor DeSantis at the top of the ticket in different races this year, I think we'd be looking at very different results. Mm. Yeah, I was uh, I'm curious as to what your thought is as Florida generally, because, you know, the first election I covered was the 2000 election, which w- what a way to start. Um, and, you know, it was a. Uh, the closest of close presidential election states, obviously, was kind of the famous swing state. And it's been pretty close in most of the elections since. You mentioned Ron DeSantis. And DeSantis came in in 2018, right? It was that 2018 yeah. election, which was a Democratic year. And he was yeah. still able to squeak that out. I remember being pretty surprised by that result uh, that evening. And now we're seeing not only a move uh, where uh, DeSantis, I think, has is, is done a really good job and has, has garnered support, but, I mean, have we seen a move from Florida generally that we should start thinking about it a little bit more as a, a red state rather than the pure purple we used to consider it? Yeah, no. Florida's brick red now. Uh, it's, it is a, it's it is a Yeah, it is a ruby red state right now. Uh, I don't see it turning blue anytime soon. I, you know, look, uh, four years is a lifetime in, in politics, but the conditions are just not there. The Florida Democratic Party chair just resigned. Uh, one of the great proponents of uh, of, of co- describing the parental rights and education bill as so-called don't say gay. His name is Carlos Guillermo Smith. He's a state legislator from Central Florida. He lost. Wow. Um, yeah. So the guy who coined that term lost. Uh, so the Democrat and the the Democrats and the entire Democratic bench has been wiped out across the state. Recovering from that is extremely difficult. They don't really have that I, that I could see any charismatic leaders. And in fact, look, just this weekend I was doing I was doing a panel on local television in Miami, and the guest before me is a is a Democratic lawmaker. They just still don't get it. They think they're in California. They bring these uh, talking points to South Florida, uh, describing Hispanics as people of color uh, and y- using like the, like woke terminology to describe our communities. That's just not how we see ourselves. Uh, we don't view ourselves as victims in this country. We view ourselves as lucky to be here, thankful for the sacrifices, in my case, the sacrifices of my parents and my grandparents. God bless them uh, because they gave me the opportunity to be an American, which is the the greatest gift in life. Ah, that's really cool. Uh, you know, uh, it was interesting to kind of watch uh, the Hispanic vote across the country. We know what happened in Florida, and I think you could look at that and say, okay, well, it's Florida, right? It's they, yeah. they were great year in Florida. Obviously, huge gains there, but it's not a it's not a nationwide story. And and there is some 
I don't know, maybe some evidence of, of mixed results in other areas. I know California had some really positive uh, results. Texas, uh, you know, there were three districts in, in, in South Texas that I think conservatives were really hopeful for. I think they got one of the three, if I'm not mistaken. It wasn't yeah, quite as I, good I, as I, hoped. Yeah, I worked two of those three races. Uh, I, I can tell you exactly what happened. So we actually made tremendous inroads with Hispanics nationally. If you look at the national exit poll, the uh, percentage, uh, the, the margin between the Democrats and the Republicans among Hispanics was the best performance ever for the GOP in a midterm election. Mm. We surpassed the 1994, uh, you know, uh, contract with America margin among Hispanics. Wow. So there, there may not have been a red wave in the country, and there certainly was not. But there there, there was an Ola Roja. Uh, which is red wave in Spanish, uh, because we saw these types of margins with Hispanics that we had never seen before. Um, so I think, it, you know, it, it speaks a tremendous work. I think there were some really good people who um, I worked with at the RNC who were really pushing this. Um, and in South Texas, look, it, it is true. We, we, we only won one out of those three seats. So that's Monica de la Cruz just won Texas 15. She flipped that. She's become becomes the first Republican and the first Latina ever to represent that district. But those those neighboring districts that she where where Cassie Garcia was running and where Myra Flores was running, these are just like honestly like very solidly Democratic seats. And both Cassie and Myra had the best performances ever for Republican candidates in those seats. So it's gonna take time. Uh, no one said that the Hispanic vote is going to flip overnight, but I really think if we keep put, you know, moving along and we keep pushing forward, we are going to eventually see the Hispanic community come entirely to the Republican side. It's just going to take a couple of cycles. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Giancarlo, but uh, Myra Flores kind of got screwed by redistricting. Like she, she wound up winning the special election. And if that if that district had remained the same, she probably wins it here. But the redistricting probably was the, the wall that unfortunately she could not get 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 past. Yeah, I mean, she was running in a Biden plus 16 district. She cut those margins down in half. And then meanwhile, Cassie Garcia is running against a guy who has been in office since she was in kindergarten and has schools named after him in, in the community. Um, so, you know, it, it, they both had different challenges, but I am incredibly proud of both of them. They're both very good friends of mine. Uh, we have not seen the last of them. They are going to be yeah. uh, very influential leaders in the Hispanic community and bringing more Hispanics to the to the GOP. And one final note, look, um, votes are still being counted in Arizona. We don't know exactly how that is going to turn out. But what we do know from exit polling is that Kerry Lake improved upon President Trump's share of the Hispanic vote in that state mm. by 10 points. Wow. So we, we, we did see a big shift among Hispanics. The problem is that Hispanics are still a relatively uh, somewhat small slice of the electorate, about 10 to 12 percent, depending on, uh, on on voter turnout. But we, we, we're having an issue. We're having losses with white suburban voters. Um, and, you know, there are not enough Hispanics to make up for that. Yeah. Uh, in, in, in certain states. So we need to keep pushing forward with Hispanics, but also we need to do, I think, a, a better job at reaching out to the suburbs uh, and letting them know that we share their values. Mm, yeah, very, very true. Giancarlo Sobo, he's a conservative media strategist, founder of Visto Media, as you can hear here, doing great work, really important work for the future of the country. We really appreciate you coming back on, Giancarlo, and uh, thanks so much for coming on the program. Good to see you, my friend. 
Yet another federal appeals court has blocked Biden's student debt relief program nationwide, the obviously unconstitutional program, where he just was like, hey, you know, I want to spend a trillion dollars. Where should I go? How about to myself? What if I just say that it's happening? What happens then? What will you do, Supreme Court? Now, the issue here has always been standing. It's just a matter. It's not a question of whether this is a constitutional policy. That's not even what's up for debate here. What's up for debate is can you find someone with standing to sue to get it to the courts so that they can tell you it's unconstitutional? Um, a bunch of states basically came to the courts and said, hey, it's going to screw up our future tax revenue. And uh, that one was uh, got another nationwide injunction on the program. Uh, if you watched uh, Saturday Night Live this weekend, they did a sketch about, um, which is actually pretty funny, a, a fake horror trailer where a bunch of Democrats realize, oh, my God, Joe Biden's going to run again. And it was actually very funny. But one of the when they're ticking off all of his accomplishments in there, the first one they list is the, the student debt relief. And not one person has had one dollar relieved from this program. And if anyone knows anything about it, it's likely to end in a complete catastrophe, which, again, is what looks like it's happening in the courts. Nancy Pelosi says she will always have influence in the House, even if she's not Speaker of the House. She says there's all kinds of ways to exert influence. Uh, so this speaker has awesome power, but I will also always have influence, she said to CNN's State of the Union program. I assume that means she's going to haunt it eventually like i it's the only thing i can think of i do think that that is eventually where this ends up um ed markey he's a big you know global warming democrat um uh, senator and he's from oregon and he uh he is going after uh elon musk on twitter because he was upset because i guess someone launched an account got it verified for the eight dollars and then posed as senator markey he says as a, a washington post reporter was able to create a verified account impersonating me i'm asking for answers from elon musk who is putting profits over people and his debt over uh, stopping disinformation twitter must explain how this happened and how to prevent it from happening again well it happened because a, a reporter that you probably worked with you to set this entire thing up did it to get your letter to get started so they could go after Elon Musk, which, by the way, I think Senator Markey would be one of the key people telling you that global warming is the most existential crisis we'll ever face and that electric cars are the solution. But yet the guy with the biggest electric car company of all time is getting hammered by these people. It's incredible to watch. Elon Musk is no hardcore conservative. I, I, the world makes no freaking sense. So. Elon Musk, however, decided to respond to him on Twitter. OK, so Ed Markey had a, 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 an account created to impersonate him. Uh, that was, I guess, a parody. And so Elon Musk said, perhaps the problem was that because your real account sounds like a parody. <laughs> this is not a guy who's afraid of, of Congress. Uh, now, Ed Markey then responded this way. He said, one of your companies is under FTC consent decree. Auto safety watchdog NHTSA is investigating another for killing people. And you're spending your time picking fights online. Fix your companies or Congress will. Wait, what do you mean he was picking fights online? You attacked him on Twitter. He didn't pick the fight. You picked the fight. And by the way, you were also on Twitter doing the same thing you're accusing him of. It's just absolutely bonkers, but uh, that's what you get. And, you know, he's, he's now found himself on the wrong side of Congress, and they will come after you, and they will do everything they can to destroy you. So I hope Elon Musk is prepared for it. Um, I mean, it's just, I mean, he's got a lot of money, so you guys can't be more prepared than that. He's also not prepared for, for catastrophic global warming. Yes, he's doing lots for electric cars. We all know about that. He built spaceships so he can escape from this planet just in case global warming gets super-duper bad. 
Bigger issue, though, we only got nine years left. Nine years to avert catastrophe and global warming. Is from, this is from a new study. The good thing about it, though, is I was told many, many times we had already passed the, the point of no return. So this is fantastic. We have nine more years. I'm going to fire up my outdoor gas grill and just leave it on overnight. See what happens. I'm going to turn on my car and just rev the engine for hours and hours on end just to burn more fossil fuels because, guys, we got nine more freaking years. Celebrate. I thought we were five years past the deadline. And then there's another deadline like a few months from now. And then there's another one now nine years from now. So you got nine more years to get your act together. Globe. You know, one of the ways you can help solve global warming is by taking your giant, evil American style house with like it's 2,500 square feet and downsizing to a European abode where maybe you'd have four or 500 square feet. That's plenty. How many square feet do you need, you disgusting mouth breather? You're, ex you're excising all of that carbon dioxide out as you as you breathe out all that gross air that's been inside your body. I mean, that's disgusting. What is wrong with you? Now, if that's you, uh, you probably don't want realestateagentsitrust.com. You probably want to be ripped off if that person is you. If that made sense to you, don't go to realestateagentsitrust.com. But if you are moving for any other sane reason, go there, realestateagentsitrust.com. Get the best agent in your area. Give them some info. They'll contact you to introduce you to the best agent in your town. Get an agent that's screened already, so you don't get a lunatic. Realestateagentsitrust.com. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Dave Chappelle was on TV, which, of course, means there's controversy. Uh, Chappelle, of course, a comedian who makes jokes for a living. Really, I don't know why that would be controversial. But he did a, a monologue on SNL. I will say, go back and watch the horror movie uh, trailer I was talking about a few minutes ago. That's actually really funny. Um, but uh, and, and, and Chappelle was good. You know, I think he's always good. He's, he's really a master of the craft more than anything else. The, the, the complaint is he went on and he talked about the Kanye thing and Kyrie Irving and anti-Semitism. And the complaints are coming from the ADL, which complains uh, usually only when conservatives do things, which is so I guess uh, this is a, a, a surprise to see them complain about a Democrat doing something. But if you, you watch the tone of it, like you get the sense that there's a little tinge of of Dave Chappelle that agrees with some of the stuff Kanye West have been saying, but doesn't doesn't want to say it as clearly. Just like when you watched the Dave Chappelle pro-life stuff when he was talking about abortion, you're like, is this guy like 1% pro-life? I don't, is that what I'm hearing here? You get a little bit of that, but again, the guy's a comedian. He's going after jokes and you have to be able to investigate these areas. Everyone needs to step back and relax. He's a freaking comedian. Let him say what he needs to say. We should have a wide berth for stand-up comedy. We are only a few weeks away. I'm really, next week is Thanksgiving. Did you know that? I didn't know that until this morning. I was like, wait, what? Really? Why does the calendar surprise me so much? It's, it's all, all that information's out there. Uh, but anyway, we're a few weeks away from uh, Christmas Power Hour. It's the Power Hour Christmas Party. Go to studospowerhour.com and you can get registered to come here and see it. Uh, be part of the in-studio audience for the 2022 Christmas Party Power Hour. We'll give you all the details on the date and everything else coming up, but get signed up now for details.